0: And welcome to Staff Picks, the podcast for movie nerds by movie nerds, where we take the movies out there that might be a little underloved or underrated, and we attempt to give them maybe a little more visibility. As always, my name is Mario Lanza, and I'll be your host. And our movie today is a fun one because this one isn't necessarily... Like an unknown movie. This is just one of those movies that's been around forever. And I just don't think it gets the love and respect that it deserves. And I am talking, of course, about Meatballs, the 1979 comedy starring Bill Murray. Bill Murray's first movie, his introduction to the world as a movie star. And I just one of these movies that I have been such a fan of this movie over the years. And I don't think it gets nearly enough... Uh, love, respect, and admiration to the level of, like maybe what Ghostbusters does, when I think Meatballs is just as good and just as significant. So we're going to delve into Meatballs here, and my guest today is a, uh, this is a really fun story how he ended up being my guest. His name is Mike Stevenson, and he is a longtime listener of mine, reader of mine, and a uh, big time movie nerd, lover of bad movies. And uh, before we get into our backstory, I just want to welcome you to the show. Welcome, Mike.
1: Well, thank you very much, Mario. It's a pleasure being here.
0: Okay, I got to get into the story. This is hilarious. You'll like this one. So um, most people know I have another uh, podcast. I run one called Survivor Historians, which is about the TV show Survivor. And what's funny is on Survivor Historians is I'm always throwing out random movie references, just obscure references to movies from my past, just to see if anybody will get them. And there was one episode that I started with a quote from Meatballs. I said, hello, welcome to Survivor Historians, the best podcast available in this price range. And this guy, Mike, wrote in and said, is that a Meatballs reference? Did you just quote Meatballs? And since that day, we have been forever writing back and forth as pen pals as the Meatballs guys. We love Meatballs. We're always referencing it. So I just am so excited to finally get to talk to you, Mike.
1: Oh, I'm, it's my pleasure. It's, I've, I've been looking forward to this ever since you announced this podcast. I'm like, okay, as long as you bookmark me for the Meatballs podcast, I am good to go.
0: <laughs> so why don't you tell us a little about yourself, your history? How did you become a fan of Meatballs? Did you grow up with this movie? Exactly kind of how did how did you end up here today? Okay, well, I was born in
1: 80, so a year after this came out. And I remember watching it just randomly. My, my father had purchased it, uh, probably from my sister. Uh, and I watched it when I was about seven. And I got maybe half of the jokes because as a seven-year-old, You have no clue what a wet dream is. You have no clue what she wants. It means nothing. I had no idea. I just like the fact that Bill Murray was a goofball. Um, He was the camp counselor guy that if I ever went to summer camp, that's the guy that I wanted to be friends with. Just a complete goof. Awesome. And um, just completely loved that movie. Loved everything about it. And then as I grew up and watched it, I got more things about it. And I'm like, okay, you know granted I, I I use some some random harsh language in the movie, um not to my parents' pleasure, but hey that that's what happens. Yeah, then I found your your podcast and started listening to it. Then as soon as you made that 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 meatballs reference, I was like, <laughs> okay, this guy <laughs> we we need to do something about this movie. And when you announced this podcast and announced that you'd be doing meatballs at some point, I wanted to bookmark that for my appearance because that's one of my top five favorite movies of all time.
0: Yeah, it's funny because that's one again one of the things I do on Survivor Historians is I'm like I'm like one of those electronic fly traps. I'm trying to draw people in who might know these movies that I know. I do that intentionally to kind of find people that would one day help me on staff pick. So I'm so excited that you were drawn into my my web of nerddom here. Um, did you <laughs> my grow, pleasure? <laughs> did you grow up going to summer camp? Like, was this movie? Did it have a meaning to your life? Like, were you one of these kids that got dumped into summer camp every summer, like other kids in the '80s?
1: Luckily for me, cause I was not an outdoors guy. I wasn't, I'm very introverted. So summer camp would have been a nightmare for me. So uh, I did not go to summer camp. Um, I just kind of lived vicariously through these kids and what my experience may have, may have been like, but I was too in my own shell to, to go and do something like that.
0: See, now I'm just the opposite. I had to go to summer camp every year. And again, this was pretty common for people who are younger listening. I don't know if kids still go to summer camp today. Like in the uh, 70s, 80s, that was just a part of the summer. You'd get home from school for the summer. And basically the the, uh, the logic my mom always said was, mommy needs a break too. <laughs> and so basically the kids get shuttled off to summer camp. And again, this movie Meatballs was so omnipresent in the 80s. It was on cable all the time, just endless loops of it playing on TBS and stuff like that. And that was the thing. That's what kind of got you through the summer every year. Like, I hope, please, God, give me a counselor as cool as Tripper from Meatballs. Like, that's what you look forward to. And it actually happened. I actually had a really cool, like, mentor, older brother-type counselor in summer camp two years out of the, I would say, 10 that I went. So not a huge success ratio. But that's the thing why this movie is so, it means so much to so many people over the years. Because this was just, like, a big part of the summer. This is the template for what a lot of kids went through each summer. Well, I'll tell you what. Having
1: two years of that is a lot better than, you know, having just a bunch of straight-laced, very boring guys that you had nothing really to look forward to on that end and just kind of hope that you can kind of get through your experience of camp. I don't know how long, you know, is it six weeks, a month? Six weeks,
0: it's a long time, yeah.
1: Yeah, so it's like if you don't have anybody to keep it fun, then it's just like a big funeral procession to get from one end of camp to the other and get back home.
0: Yeah, and I was very similar to Rudy in the sense that I was an introvert like you, probably. And I would just sit there on yeah. my suitcase, and I didn't know how to talk to anybody. So, like, this movie, it's, it's really interesting watching this movie because why I like it now is not the same reason why I liked it as a kid. I don't know if that's easy to understand. And, like, when I was a kid, I watched it, and it was funny. It was just funny and cool, and Bill Murray was, like, the coolest guy ever, and I laughed at all the jokes and the Olympiad stuff. And now I watch it, and now it's very nostalgic. Like, it's such a sweet movie. It's a good-hearted movie. I love the setting, the, the soundtrack, the vibe, just this late 70s, you know, laid-back, chill-out vibe just the 70s had. And it's just, I don't know, would you be the same way? Is it? Do you like it now for the same reasons you liked this as a kid?
1: Um, I'm kind of on the same train as you. I love it now because it's just a really fun, like you were saying, light-hearted story. It's got a good message to it, and it's not like overt and and it's not in your face about oh you know this you know it's kids back then were kind of a holes which is not really much different to now but at least you know you could kind of make your way back then whereas now it kind of seems like once you're labeled something if you're a kid it's it's very hard to to break out of that without doing something extraordinary so it's kind of cool to see you know rudy's journey and and how he became big guy in the camp Mm -hmm. and it's just something that it's just a really fun rags to riches story on his end but then also bill murray kind of being an a-hole but also (laughs) being a charming a-hole so in that respect i can respect his his character because he has some serious flaws but he also has a good heart about him especially when it relates to helping out that that one kid that is just not having a good time at all
0: And that's something, I'm glad you mentioned Bill Murray being, I mean, the star of this, and this really is the Bill Murray show. And I have to bring this up because a lot of people don't know about this. This movie, again... It's Bill Murray's movie debut. He was on Saturday Night Live. He'd been on there for a couple years. They uh, tapped him. They wanted him to star in a movie. And basically, um, Ivan Reitman ended up directing this movie. He became one of the biggest directors and producers in the world in the 80s. He did like Ghostbusters, a bunch of other stuff. I mean, he was a big shot director. This was his first movie. It was written by Harold Ramis, who, again, was also known from Ghostbusters. And basically the history is Animal House had been this big hit, it had been the showcase for John Belushi, and they wanted to do another similar movie, but they wanted to set it in a summer camp, and they wanted to highlight another Saturday Night Live star, and the thing was that they wanted Bill Murray. They knew Bill Murray was going to be a big deal, but it was hard to get him, and this is, you, Mike, you've heard of how difficult it is to sign uh, Bill Murray to star in a movie? Oh, yes. Yeah. It's not easy. For those who don't know, Bill Murray is kind of his own man. He's his own thing. He is uh, this legend of Bill Murray has grown over the years, and I'll just fill you in some of the details if you're unaware. He does not have an agent. He does not actively seek out movie roles. If you want him to be in a movie, there's like a 1-800 number you have to call, and it rings somewhere, and you leave a message, and he may or may not check those messages once a year, and then maybe he'll get back to you if he wants to be in the movie or not. And he's incredibly difficult to nail down and put in a movie. And that was the thing for this movie, that they wrote it specifically for him, they tailored it all to Bill Murray, and they could not get a uh, commitment from him that he was going to be in the movie. That Bill Murray, you know, he strung him along, strung him along, and, and that's the, what I love about this movie, is that until the day they started filming, they had no idea Bill Murray was going to be in it. Like, it wasn't until he showed up wearing the blue Hawaiian shirt and the red shorts, which ended up being his costume in the movie, they didn't even know he was going to be there. And that's what's so hilarious about this movie. Like, the legend of Bill Murray just being his own little iconoclast starts right here.
1: I tell you what, I grew up you know, being an 80s child. Ghostbusters, this movie, you know, Caddyshack, Stripes, all those movies. Bill Murray was my dude. And then when when, when you see him kind of, you know, do more recent movies and he's kind of older, but still, you know, really, really good. It's, you know, he, he's had some clunkers over the years, of course, but groundhog day one of my favorite movies mm-hmm. just because bill murray is excellent in it i've i've been a long time fan of murray and it's been you know movies like these that, that really that really grab me because he has a certain charisma you can't take your eyes off him so and i i didn't see him on saturday night live except for you know later on when i you know got the internet and watched old episodes on youtube or whatever but i mean the, the guy is just there's no denying his his charisma
0: And that's something I had kind of mentioned in our bachelor party podcast that Bill Murray kind of invented a certain archetype of character, kind of this slacker, smart aleck, just almost like an asshole in a way, but he's still kind of charming at the same time. And then Michael Keaton and kind of Tom Hanks ran with that later in the early 80s. But it really kind of starts with Bill Murray. And this is really the movie where it starts. So that's why I say this is a very important movie in the history of comedy.
1: I agree. I mean, there's if if no one knew that he could be outstanding in a movie, he may not have been in Caddyshack, or he may not have been in Stripes. This this really kicks off a very important era, like you were saying, of, of, of comedy and movies and just all those movies that everyone our age has that nostalgia for. A good chunk of them are Bill Murray movies.
0: There's two things I want to spell out before we dive into Meatballs here and go into the plot and some of the jokes in it that... The first thing is that there's a great article out there called The Oral History of Meatballs where they take all the people that starred in the movie and made it and talk about it and they give their memories of the movie. And one of the things that jumped out at me is that they had no idea they were going to be in a movie with Bill Murray. And I find that hilarious. Like, up until the day they started filming, you had all these young Canadian actors. They're all just a bunch of unknowns that they threw together and put into a movie. And they knew they were doing a movie with the Saturday Night Live star. And they all thought it was going to be Dan Aykroyd because that was the scuttle that they couldn't get Murray. He hadn't signed a contract. So they're all excited that Dan Aykroyd was going to star in Meatballs. And so the first day, Bill Murray shows up. And this is funny. I read in the the history of Meatballs, one of the actors said, and we were all like, oh, we have to act with the new guy? Like, they all wanted Dan Aykroyd, and they got this replacement guy who was replacing Chevy Chase, and they were kind of disappointed. And it's funny that, like, this would not have even been half the movie it is with Dan Aykroyd. I just love that they were all disappointed that he was their co-star.
1: I cannot even imagine this movie with Dan Aykroyd. Uh, <laughs> just because he doesn't have that element of slapstick mm-hmm. that, that that Bill Murray has. I, I just can't. It's, it's like trying to imagine his Ghostbusters character, Dan Aykroyd's being... Tripper. Yeah, it would have been weird. It would have been not the movie that uh, we that we both know and love to this extent.
0: Okay, so you have the cast being disappointed that the new guy from SNL, they have to be he has to be their co their lead actor. And this is the other thing. And this is why if there's one thing I want people to take from this podcast in that is that Bill Murray does not do movie scripts. I don't know if people know that about him. He is notorious for taking a movie script, looking it over and saying, nah, I can do better. And that is literally what he does in Meatballs. It's funny, there's a scene in this movie where he's given the camp rules, he looks at them, rips them up, throws them in the trash, and makes up his own rules. And that is literally what he did as an actor. He got the script for Meatballs, he said, I can do better. And he literally improvises almost the entire movie. Every single scene you see him interacting with other characters, that's Bill Murray improvising. So, so many of these quotes and great moments and scenes, that's just him making it up on the spot. And it's just amazing. Again, he does that in every movie. He's done it since then. That's just what he does. And I remember an interview. Bill Murray doesn't give too many interviews. But I remember him saying that Meatballs was really the first time in his life that he realized that he was better than the material. He's like, "I the material's good, but I'm better. I can do it better. And that's what he does. So that's the one thing I want people to take from this podcast, that Bill Murray invented this movie as they were making it. That's it. That's all you're watching is him just being Bill Murray.
1: I don't hear him get nearly enough credit today for what he deserves. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of a crime because you think of people that think of great actors. He's not where he deserves to be because he's such an off-the-cuff genius. And you think of all the movies that he's done, and he's, like you were saying, he's making up most of, if not all, of his lines. Mm -hmm. As long as he has like a general template of this is where we want to go with this. You know, like, you think of movies like like Groundhog Day, and I can think that Bill Murray is making up pretty much all of his dialogue or all of his random, you know, like when he's talking about Punxsutawney Phil, he's, you know, making up his own entrances and his own intros, and and you think, you know can I do that? Can you do that? Probably not. Yeah. But that's why he is one of the best comedians in movie history, in my opinion.
0: And that's why he's Bill Murray. And again, Bill Murray has such an amount of respect from other comedians, just knowing what he's capable and what he does, that almost nobody can do what he does. Like Will Ferrell doesn't improvise in every movie. Like he's very good at that. But even he, I'm sure, would admit I'm not Bill Murray. Bill Murray is a whole different level of that talent.
1: Oh, definitely. And he's very, very dry, which is my particular favorite kind of humor. I love a good dry sense of humor. Um, I'm not too crazy about like the over the top yelling. Oh, ah, ah, look at me. I'm doing something stupid. Ah. You know, it's very witty, very dry. And that's not what he he's does. the kind of guy that. Yeah, he, he can kind of insult you, but be hilarious while doing it. And you don't even realize you're being insulted. Mm-hmm. That's that's what I kind of like about him.
0: Without uh, delaying this too much, we're going to jump into this. We have a lot to talk about. I basically had Mike and I, I both came up with lists of our favorite little Murray one-liners, quips, scenes, moments, any little thing in Meatballs that jumps out to us. But we have to do kind of a cursory run through of the plot. We're not going to step through it step by step like in some of the other episodes, because Meatballs, there isn't really much of a plot. It's really, would you agree with us, Mike? It's really just like a, a series of little vignettes, like SNL sketches.
1: That's what I was just about to say it's 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 like a whole bunch of random things that aren't quite connected, mm-hmm. but we know that it's going on during this time at camp, so it kind of goes together, but very few things lead one into the other unless you're talking about you know putting Morty in his sleep <laughs> up in a tree or out by the road or in the middle of a lake kind of running gags like that. But overall, very, very few things and gags kind of, you know, roll on through this movie. Just kind of one scene and then boop, next scene.
0: And there is a reason for that. And and as I said earlier, they wrote this script specifically for Bill Murray. They had written this whole or uh, uh, Harold Ramis and a bunch of other writers had written this thing called Summer Camp. And just to tailor it to Bill Murray. They basically beefed up this Tripper character, made him the star, and cut out all these other subplots about all these other CITs. So that's really why it's, it, the movie doesn't hold together that well as a story. And again, I don't really care that much because I still love it. But that's why there's all these other characters. You don't really find out their backstories because it's so much about Beryl Murray. But there, there's a reason for that. That was because that's the only way they could get him in the movie.
1: Yeah, and I'm not, I'm not trying to like see the, the Shawshank Redemption here <laughs> as far as great stories. I'm looking for something to amuse me. And be, be lighthearted and, yeah, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to follow, you know, AL's history with wheels <laughs> from previous summers just so that we can get some emotional depth. In this kind of movie, you
0: don't really need. You don't, yeah. Okay, so just to run through it, this is a story of a summer camp, a camp called Camp North Star up somewhere in Canada, I'm assuming by Toronto. And again, this was a Canadian movie. Featuring many Canadian actors, it was a huge hit in Canada. It, it was like one of the highest-grossing Canadian movies of all time. Which is funny because we already talked about a similar movie, uh, Black Christmas, like this big Canadian horror movie. This was the big Canadian comedy. So yeah, it's a com—it's a summer camp called Camp North Star. There's a guy named Tripper who's the CIT director. CIT stands for counselor and training. He's the guy that trains all the counselors to work with the kids. It's just this established place. And again, anyone who's been to summer camp knows what summer camp is like. It's a couple of weeks, you meet new friends, guys and girls hook up with each other. There, all these memories are made. And then at the end of the summer, everyone has to leave and it's very sad because you're losing your friends and stuff. So it's just, it's like the 1979 summer at Camp North Starp in Canada and again, There's two things that are going on at this camp. This is kind of a poor camp. It's kind of a camp for poor kids. And there's a rival camp across the lake called Camp Mohawk, which is all the rich kids. And I don't know how many times I'm going to talk about this on Staff Picks. What an endless trope this is in these 70s and 80s comedies that it's the poor kids against the rich kids and the rich kids are all assholes. That's the main thing in this movie. These are the poor kids, the working class kids, and they have to deal with these rich kids across the lake. And uh, despite the fact that many would label this as like a teen sex comedy, it's really not. It's really just a coming-of-age story in the late 70s with kids and hijinks at summer camp with this really, really sweet heart behind it and some depth to it. And, and again, the main stars are Bill Murray as Tripper, the lead CIT, and... Uh, Chris Makepeace, we have not mentioned him yet. Chris Makepeace plays a kid named Rudy, Rudy Gurner, who's this sad, little, lonely, introvert kid who doesn't have any friends. And it's really the friendship between Tripper and Rudy that will drive this movie and, and give it a heart that it really shouldn't have, but it's so darn sweet. And that's what really calls out to this movie, like how much it really believes in this little relationship these two have.
1: Oh, absolutely. And real quick, something that I wanted to kind of say here is that I don't think this was meant to be portrayed to be in Canada. Hmm. I think this was meant to be portrayed in the USA because at this bus station that that Rudy's at about ten minutes in after he you know screws up these the uh, soccer game, <laughs> there's a map and it's an outline of the USA. It's a, it's like it's like a Greyhound bus thing. Oh okay. And like there are various I I I don't think Canada has state penitentiaries. <laughs> I think this was meant to be in in the USA somewhere just so that it would have a more wide ranging audience down here. Rather than having various Canadian references, although the Canadianness of this movie is very evident just by the way that these
0: actors talk. Yeah, this whole movie smells of back bacon, you can just tell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's again it's set in Canada and, and we're gonna go back to Chris Makepeace here for a second. Chris Makepeace I've long said my favorite child star ever. I just loved the way he portrayed characters. And he only did a couple movies. This was his first movie where he plays Rudy. And again, again, Makepeace was just this Canadian kid, this nobody they plucked out of nowhere, and they threw him into a movie with Bill Murray. Like, how's that a nice start to your movie career? He's, he's in here with Bill Murray. That's his entire job is to hang out with Bill Murray and just try to react to, to Murray uh, improvising.
1: And then yeah, rough life. Huh? I
0: know rough life. And then uh, his second movie is uh, My Bodyguard, which we've we've already done an episode of. That's Makepeace's other big movie, where he gets to hang around with Ruth Gordon, who's Maude from Harold and Maude. And then like his next big movie was a TV movie called Mazes and Monsters in 1982, and his co-star in that is a young Tom Hanks. So this is Chris. was crap. Cool. Yeah, Chris Makepeace's life as a young actor, hang out with Bill Murray. Ruth Gordon, and then Tom Hanks. And then he didn't really do a whole lot after that. But, man, did that kid lead a charmed life. And I just, again, are you a, a Makepeace fan like I am?
1: Um, I, I have not seen the other two. But the fact that he got to hang out with two of my top five favorite actors of all time, Murray and Hanks. Mm-hmm is unbelievable and i think i'm gonna to have to, to to scope out these other two movies just just to kind of check them out and see you know how he grew up uh granted it's not too much time passing between this and you know his one with hanks but still just to kind of see how he how he goes you know being an actor is something that i'm kind of interested in so i'm going to check these out definitely
0: Yeah, Makepeace has these big, soulful blue eyes, and you can just see he he, he portrays emotion very well. And again, this and My Bodyguard, two of my favorites. Mazes and Monsters, I don't want to hype up to people because it kind of sucks. And if you play Dungeons and Dragons, it will infuriate you because it's basically about a kid, kids who play Dungeons and Dragons. And because the game is so satanic, it drives them to kill each other and stuff and do these horrible things. So it'll piss you off. But if you want to see Chris Makepeace in there with a young Tom Hanks, it's a very fun little trivia bit.
1: Well I'm definitely a big fan of young Tom Hanks because a i'm I'm from a suburb of Cleveland, Ohio, and he did a lot of acting uh in Cleveland back in the late seventies early eighties mm-hmm. uh so back when the Indians were in the World Series against the Cubs and everybody wanted the Cubs to win, uh Hanks was out there you know pumping up the the Indians because he was a fan he used to go to the game so uh right there i mean i'm 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 a big Hanks fan from way back from Bosom Buddies and Splash and Bachelor Party and all those. Uh, I've been a Hanks fan <laughs> since probably earlier than I was a Murray fan to yeah. be honest.
0: you know you're going out on a limb here admitting that you're a Tom Hanks fan, right? That's a very controversial stance to take,
1: yeah, I know it's wild, right It's <laughs> like man it's I, I
0: really might as like well that. say
1: i'm a, I'm a fan of Satan, you know
0: <laughs> okay, are you ready to delve into the limited storyline of meatballs, Mickey. Like, <laughs> Name is Mikey, not Mickey. Not Mickey, okay. So anyway, yeah, so we're just going to brush through the storyline because we've got about a half hour of fun highlights to go into here. We have Our lists are so enormous, it's going to be hilarious. Yeah, so Bill Murray is at the summer camp, and basically uh, at the start of the year, we just see him in his cab, and he does these little PA announcements over the intercom to the whole camp every morning, and it starts with him playing the national anthem for the camp, which is like some bagpipe song, some Scottish bagpipe song. And then we meet him, we meet the CITs, we meet uh, the guy who runs the camp, his name is Morty Melnick, and there's a running joke that they keep calling him Mickey, which is what I that was just referring to when I called Mike Mickey. And those are the kind of the things that people remember about this movie. And then we get this uh, opening shot where all these kids are bustled off to summer camp in these school buses. And and this is funny because this is exactly how I was shuttled off to summer camp in the '80s. Is you drive down to Kmart or some other shopping center in the parking lot, and all these buses would be there, and the parents would say, "All right, K, okay, bye," and they just hand you off, and they, you're basically out of your parents' hands for four to six weeks. So, and that's exactly what happens in this movie, the Kmart handoff.
1: Ah, Kmart. Sadly, that place is going out of business. <laughs> but that was the that and a store called Hills. I don't know if anybody listening had a Hills around them, but those two stores. As a child, we're like you know, gold, going in, getting your toys, checking, checking everything out, mm-hmm. and it just doesn't exist anymore, and it's a shame, because those stores were everything to a five-year-old, mm-hmm. and now it's just, you know, there's not a whole lot going right now.
0: There's a neat little time capsule moment in this movie where, I don't know if people remember, where Spaz, one of the characters, of course, is named Spaz, because this is that kind of a movie. Spaz is in a Kmart, and he's coming out, and he's holding a milkshake. And I know people watching this now would say, what the hell, who gets a milkshake at Kmart? But they really used to have that. They had a full-on restaurant in the back of Kmart where you could get hamburgers, you know, chicken sandwiches, fries. And milkshake would be something you would have gotten in the 70s at Kmart. And they also had a big ice cream counter in the front. My brother and I would always ride our bikes to Kmart to get ice cream. So it's a neat little time capsule moment of Spaz carrying the strawberry milkshake from Kmart.
1: And by the way, that is the saddest-ass milkshake I've ever (laughs) seen in my entire life. Because when he gets it jumped over his head, it's water. It's pink water. Yeah. And that is a crime against milkshakes.
0: Well, it is Kmart. I mean, you're not expecting top-of-the-line milkshakes. (laughs) Oh, no, I just lost Kmart as a sponsor on Staff Picks. Damn it.
1: That's okay. They're going out of business anyway.
0: <laughs> Although I do have a question here at the start of the movie. All these kids are being shuttled off to Camp North Star from the Kmart parking lot, and then right next to them is all the rich kids from Camp Mohawk also being shuttled off to camp. Why are the Mohawk kids leaving from Kmart? That does not ring true to me.
1: No, it does not. It's there there had to have been more upper upper class store, you know, like maybe they didn't quite have Nordstrom yet or maybe they didn't have Macy's or, or any of those department stores and they said, well, there's a big parking lot. Sure enough, we can fit both camp's buses, so <laughs> yeah. there you go.
0: Or maybe Kmart was the highest-end department store in Canada in the late 70s.
1: That is true, and maybe Mohawk just wanted to be a dick to Northstar and go, look at our sweet buses while well, you guys got these Sadass jalopy school buses. We got coaches with, you know, probably working plumbing and maybe a microwave in there. And we have hors d'oeuvres, and you have nothing.
0: So that's it. So this is just Camp Mohawk twisting the knife early on, just leaving from the same parking lot.
1: Yeah, just being complete a holes about everything. And but that's okay because they will get their comeuppance at the end of the summer.
0: Yes. (laughs) Okay. Now there's spoiler alert. Yeah, there's a fantastic scene right here at the start of the movie that. Even people who don't know Meatballs, we may know the scene. It's a very iconic Bill Murray scene where Bill Murray wanders over to the Camp Mohawk side, the rich kids side of the leaving for camp, and there's an, uh, a reporter there, a TV reporter, interviewing people because Mohawk's like the richest camp in America; it costs a thousand dollars a week. And he somehow, somehow, stumbles onto Bill Murray, and Bill Murray passes himself off as Jerry Aldini, the program director of Camp Mohawk, and so this is a, the the reporter says. It's $1,000 a week. Is it really worth it? And Murray just this is Murray just improvising, and I can't possibly do the scene justice. I'm uh, what I will you you I'll let you describe this one for people.
1: <laughs> like, well, we have our political you know, round table. We got Henry Kissinger will appear, Yasser Arafat's going to come in and spend a weekend and you know kind of rap with the kids. And and, and the kids wanted animals, so this year each camper will, will stalk and kill his own bear. <laughs> the the, the uh, TV announcer's like, that. That's amazing. Do you think the kids can hack that? He goes, well, we'll see. <laughs> but uh, the most important thing is, is at the end of the summer, we, we have Sexual Awareness Week, where we import a 1,000 hookers from all over the world and give each camper uh, just a thermos of coffee and $2,000 cash. And he gets to visit as many countries as he can. And the winner, of course, will be king of Sexual Awareness Week, and he'll be able to rape and pillage a neighboring town. He goes, that's incredible. He's like, well, what do you expect for $1,000 a week? Hey, you have a good summer too, pal. <laughs> yes.
0: And again, that's Bill Murray improvising that entire thing. That's so amazing. And I know so many people that can quote that almost word for word, the Jerry Aldini section. And I will throw out a little trivia here is that Jerry Aldini was a, a character name that Bill Murray used to use on SNL. So you may catch a Jerry Aldini in old SNL reruns as well.
1: Ah, good call. I did not know that.
0: Okay, so we get to camp, and this is where we meet Rudy Gurner, the sad little introvert kid played by Chris Makepeace. And right off the bat, Bill Murray sees him sitting there on his suitcase looking all depressed, and he walks up with, again, one of my top lines in this movie, You must be the short, depressed kid that we ordered. Glad you could make it. (laughs) <laughs> and for right off the bat, Murray kind of takes this kid under his wing. He just and you get the impression that Murray Tripper has been here, at the, I mean, he's been here at this camp year after year after year. There's always a sad kid. there's always a depressed kid and Murray knows how to kind of, you know draw these kids out of their shell. And it's, again, we just get this wonderful friendship between Tripper and Rudy that's gonna last all the way to the end of the movie. Absolutely one of my favorite uh, like relationships in any movie ever. I think it's so well done and the actors in it are so good here.
1: I agree. I really can't think of many that are better as far as just strangers mm-hmm. and it's just a genuine friendship but not like some forced contrived thing. It's more of okay, you you can definitely see this happening and you know today, you know people may be a little bit more leery of oh my god, this this older guy is going to, you know, kind of start messing with this kid, but it's back then it was it was all innocent and all pure and it's not, you know, you just don't have the The what what am I looking for here? The cynicism. cynicism. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The 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 cynicism of, you know, oh, what's what's going on now? You know, you you don't even question it. You go, okay, cool, dude. Yeah. You know, going to make friends with this kid and, you know, kind of get him going on his way in this camp.
0: And that was important, important part of growing up for many people. I mean, boys in particular, I'm assuming girls as well, where you would find like an older brother figure, a mentor, and they would kind of guide you through life or through school. It's funny, even back in, like, when I was in third, fourth grade, second, third, fourth grade, somewhere in there, we used to have a Big Brother program at school where they'd hook one of us up with one of the kids at the high school, and the high school kids would meet these elementary kids, and we'd kind of pal around with them, and I remember there was a kid named Rocky, he was my my big brother, and I remember hanging out with Rocky, and he'd tell me, you know, I'm a professional boxer when I'm not at school, and me being eight thought that was amazing, that he was a boxer, wow, but he actually technically was not a boxer, his name was just Rocky, but... This was like an an important part of growing up, and it's it's kind of sad. I don't know if many kids have that in their, their lives anymore, where you get these mentor programs. But I mean, in meatballs, you see it, you know, in full display. This was a developmental step almost for boys growing up, find the mentor and kind of pal around with them.
1: Oh yeah, I mean, I I didn't have it so much like as a younger kid, but I went, went when I got into high school, that was very crucial for me integrating into high school because a lot of kids that I knew that that were older that you know I had been on their father's baseball team as a kid and they you know th- they knew me from there and they knew me from the previous school I was in they kind of took me under their wing and go hey this kid's cool Is he, he you know he he's a good guy and helped me really make a lot of friends mm-hmm. and not feel so awkward and out of place um going into high school because g- growing up watching high school movies I thought every kid was going to look like they were 25 <laughs> because that's how high school movies looked back when I was a child so i was I was definitely afraid of going to high school, but I was really helped out by by a lot of cool kids that basically introduced me around and you know I had a teacher that was kind of like my own version of Tripper mm-hmm. and it just made life a lot easier.
0: yeah, it's funny I read a couple modern reviews of meatballs people who are watching it for the first time, and one sentence always kind of jumps out at me that I've seen a couple people write it's kind of a shady relationship between tripper and Rudy, or it's kind of a creepy one, or it's kind of a weird one. I'm like, what movie are you watching that that's creepy? Like that's, it's, it's such Mm -hmm. a weird way that the world has changed that that's viewed as, as creepy that a, that an older teen or a 20 year old, something could be a mentor to a younger teen. It's, it bothers me that people find that odd in this movie.
1: Yeah. It's really annoying to me as well, because it's, You know, heaven forbid somebody have a good relationship or any sort of, you know, friend relationship with anybody not of their own age or not of their own sex without it being seen as ulterior motives happening. You know, it's like... Um, sorry, but this person's cool. I'm going to hang out with him. And there we go. There's no reason to automatically assume the worst of everything. But people are triggered by any little thing anymore. And um, it's just a shame that they, they watch this and can't take it at, at face value. Yeah.
0: All right, so we go through the summer camp tropes, and we are I'm going to skim through this movie really quick here. We, we meet all the uh, the CITs that Tripper is training. We meet all the female CITs. We meet Tripper's equivalent, this uh, lady named Roxanne, who, as we learn through the movie, these two have been going to camp together for eight years. And we get the impression they've kind of hooked up and broken up every summer. That's kind of the way it goes. They have a very complicated relationship that way. And uh, are there any of the CITs really worth mentioning? I know that the wheels, hardware... Anything? I, I know we have something noteworthy to say about Al, one of the lead female CITS. I know you were <laughs> especially interested to mention this little trivia tidbit to people.
1: Yes, because Al, who had kind of a kind of a huskier voice, um, a as a as a young man, I was I was all about Al, mm-hmm. and I didn't know this at the time, but Al did a bit of porn.
0: <laughs> That's before <laughs> or after meatballs. I think this is before Yeah.
1: Uh, she did a I believe it's an Alice in Wonderland themed <laughs> porn um, back in the mid 70s.
0: I'd love to say I'm just hearing about this for the first time, but I'm not. I know exactly. Oh, no, you
1: are not. Yet. <laughs> yeah. You are not. Yeah. I, I would be shocked and amazed if this was the first time you were hearing about this. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um. <laughs> Name is Christine DeBell. She was a fairly well-known Canadian. Is she Canadian? I'm assuming she's Canadian.
1: I, th- I think she is. Um, and from what little I've seen of that, because once I found out about it, you know, as a younger man, I'm curious. I had to seek it out. I found it. It's eh, you know, it's it's <laughs> 70s porn. It's not like, you know, we're we're talking about, you know, new wave point of view, you know, <laughs> virtual reality porn. This is very, very fuzzy.
0: There's no bullet time in there or anything like that.
1: No, no, nothing. Yeah, it's, it's, there's not a big Brazzers logo at the bottom corner. There's nothing like that. But it's just, it's, eh,
0: eh.
1: As a fan, I'm, you know, I was interested to see it. But uh, overall, I'll only remember her for this movie.
0: Yeah, okay. Just for the record, her name is Christine DeBell. She was in uh, some porn before she did Meatballs. and I know she disavows it. I've, I've actually friends with her on Facebook and she has mentioned, oh, it's not porn. It was just softcore. But uh take it for my uh-huh. word it's not it, it was pretty hardcore porn <laughs> so anyway she was in a movie but let's remember her for the sweetness of al and meatballs one of our again my favorite as a kid i thought she was hot i, I was absolutely had a crush on al i had a crush on wendy yeah. the blonde girl so a lot of the cit oh, is, wendy. a lot of the cit is very uh memorable but we'll just kind of skip through their stories we go through the movie here we see all the summer camp tropes uh There's a little thing in the cafeteria every day where they do gossip, where they read all the camp news. There's a a wonderful little summer camp thing. I don't know if anybody would know this if you've never went to camp, where there's a game that you play at summer camp where if everyone's sitting around a table and someone farts, you have to raise up and put a finger next to your nose, and then everyone at the table has to do that real quick, and the last person to put their finger up has to clear the dishes, do all the dishes. And you see it in this movie. They don't explain what it is, but if you've been to camp, you know the finger fart game. Are you aware of the finger fart game?
1: I was not aware that that's what triggered the finger going to the nose. I just thought it was some random thing where you try and get some sucker to stack all the dishes at the end of the meal.
0: Oh no! Yeah. So we've we've covered now <laughs> porn on this and finger fart game. So it's it's, it's oh yeah. Know. Okay, so yeah, so we run through, and and Rudy's not having a good time at camp. He gets picked on. Uh, he's going to run away from camp. Tripper kind of runs across him in a bus station, leave, getting ready to, uh, to leave town. And Bill Murray and Chris Makepeace have this wonderful scene where Murray kind of basically tries to win him over with humor. It doesn't work, so Murray just drops the act and says basically, you know, come to me if you have problems, and I'll be your buddy, and we'll get through this summer together. And it's a really nice scene. And there will be two other several similar scenes to this throughout the movie. Basically, so Rudy attaches himself to uh, Tripper, Tripper goes jogging with him, this will become a a storyline later that Rudy is learning how to become a long distance runner with Tripper. And uh, let's see, uh, I'm just skimming through here. We have uh, Tripper just making announcements over the PA, we have an overnight camping trip where Tripper tells a ghost story and it's a very memorable scene. We have uh, random scenes where Tripper and the CITs kidnap Morty, the guy who runs the camp. And then, really, the whole movie culminates at the end of the movie where uh, there's an Olympiad. Apparently, North Star competes in this Olympiad against Mohawk, the rich kids against the poor kids. And the, the poor kids have never won. They always lose. Let's see. Should Twelve we,
1: straight years.
0: Twelve straight years, yeah. This is the 13th Olympiad. And, yeah, the Mohawks are cheating. They're doing all these, uh, you know, uh, unsavory tactics to win the events. And then, basically, what's going to happen is there's a, it's a two-day Olympiad. In between the two days, Bill Murray, trip, his tripper character, gives this big speech. One of the most, is this the most iconic Bill Murray scene? Would you think the it just doesn't matter scene?
1: Honestly, if colleges and even pro teams that are kind of underdog teams would just have this scene on before a game, they'd come out ready to run through a damn wall. Yeah. In fact, I'm, I'm going to lobby for the Browns to start doing this because, Jesus Christ, it can't get any worse than last year. It's about time to come out and defy the odds and do something good for a change. So this is the scene that I would show that locker room, and just it doesn't matter if we win or we lose because we're we're going to give it our all, and we're going to kick some
0: ass. It's funny you say that because there are sports teams that, ha- that have used this scene before. I do know back in the nineties, eighties in Seattle in the Kingdom in the Mariners game, when the Mariners were going they were down going into the ninth inning, they would always play some inspirational scene from a movie up in the Diamond Vision. And this was one I remember seeing from time to time. It just doesn't matter. It just so this this actually has been used for that purpose in the past, and it's funny because uh, Ivan Reitman, who who wrote this movie or directed it, said even admits that scene was a direct rip off of John Belushi's. You know, did the Germans was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? Hell no! Like this that this scene was in a direct attempt to copy what they did in Animal House with John Belushi's speech. But I would argue that Murray's speech is better.
1: Oh, definitely. That's as much as you know. Animal House was just kind of a groundbreaking movie, and it spawned a whole genre of movies which i think there's a netflix documentary about that but i mean this is just it's between that and william devane yelling let them play (laughs) in bad news bears and breaking training in the astrodome those two right there are just that was my childhood sports you know pump me up moments right there yeah
0: Yeah, for those who don't know it, just even if you don't watch Meatballs, Google that scene. Just type Bill Murray, it just doesn't matter, where he psychs up the camp to go take on the Camp Mohawks, the rich kids across the lake. It's a fantastic scene. Bill Murray's like a televangelist in it almost. He's got so much energy, and I remember reading in this the oral history of Meatballs that the the counselors, the actors didn't know what Murray was going to do in that scene. They just knew he was going to give some kind of pep talk. So all their reactions are spontaneous to him just making this up as he's going along. And I have have to drop a little SNL trivia here on people. Um, A couple years after the original cast left, uh, left SNL, the new cast took over in 1981, and they were terrible. They were just, they were the worst episodes of SNL with Charles Rocket and Gilbert Gottfried and all these guys. And in an attempt to salvage that season, they brought in Bill Murray as a host to kind of save the show. And this was his opening to the show in 1981. He gathered all the the cast members together, and he basically recreated this speech from Meatballs, where he tells them, you know, your show sucks, the critics hate you, you're probably not going to last more than a couple more weeks, but it just doesn't matter. It just doesn't. So it's like an homage to Meatballs, and I always love that little moment from that season.
1: I need to go find that, so thank you very much for dropping that on me.
0: <laughs> okay, yeah, so so the, the North Stars fight back, and again, it's these little poor kids against the rich kids. They come back and win the Olympiad, and it all comes down to Rudy, the the, the little sad kid at the start. He's now a, a trained runner because Tripper's been running with him every day. He runs the last event, the Olympiad, or the, the marathon. He wins it. He becomes the hero. And just like that, it's a happy ending. Rudy becomes the hero kid in camp. Tripper's the guy, that uh, his mentor that trained him and then we get all these good, sad goodbyes. Everyone leaves camp for the summer. It's very emotional. As, again, anyone who's been to summer camp knows, when you leave all your friends and or people you've hooked up with over the summer, it's a sad thing. So this movie ends on a kind of a melancholy note, where we're just hoping maybe they'll all come back next year. And a very sweet movie, capped off by some very funny scenes. There's a scene that I completely glossed over, the basketball scene, maybe the most famous scene in the movie, where North Stars losing a basketball game against Mohawk, so Murray encourages them just to pull the other team's pants down and run away because at least we can win with lose with some dignity now. And-
1: there you go. I was I, I was going to stop you for a second <laughs> to talk about that yeah. because we did kind of run right past that and as far as scenes go, I mean that that has everything. A the the, the Mohawk cheerleaders mm-hmm. rhy- rhyming pain with a gain. Um, which is, A, one of the big clues to its Canadianness.
0: Yeah, I have to say something. Mike and I had a uh, disagreement before we, we started this podcast what these cheerleaders on Camp Mohawk were actually saying. And it's one of these things, they're doing a thing, it's this basketball game, it's between the two camps, and the cheerleaders from Camp Mohawk are saying, death, injury, blood, and pain. Mohawk, Mohawk, win. And the next word is something that Mike and I disagreed with. For years, I thought it was, win a game. And Mike said, no, they're Canadian, they're saying, win a game. And I listened to it, and you know what? You were absolutely right. I would totally backtrack any uh, disagreements with you you were correct. They are saying death, injury, blood, and pain, Mohawk, Mohawk, win again. Yep. And
1: the reason why I'm kind of keyed in on that, because I used to watch wrestling back in the 90s, and Chris Jericho would always have these speeches, being Canadian, he would always say, and you will never, ever forget me. Again, so that, that kind of keyed, that kind of really refreshed that that Canadian speak uh, between that and how I met your mother um, with with all the with all the Canadian jokes and just Barney Stinson making fun of Canada going, "I'm going oot of my mind <laughs> that kind of convinced me that I was hearing it right that it was again,
0: yeah, I was kind of tipped off in the Olympiad when they had the football game, and the team had to punt on third down. That's how I knew they were in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So wait, anyway, anyway, the basketball scene one of the most iconic scenes in this movie, again, North Star just getting their asses kicked. They're not going to win basketball against these rich snobs. And uh, so Bill Murray says, well, we're going to lose, but let's just lose with some dignity. And so it involves them pulling down the other team's pants and running away, which when I'm eight, I think that's the funniest thing I've ever seen in a movie. So I don't know if it still holds up that well, but it's a really classic scene. Although I have to say the goofiness of seeing these, like amazing basketball players on the other team, the Mohawks, these are 70s Canadian basketball players where they're all just tall, white, goofy. Kids with with afros and mustaches. So that's that was the peak of Canadian basketball in the late 70s. The big bushy mustache guys.
1: Oh yes, and then also randomly, uh, Wheels had the North Star version of Mohawks basketball uniform: orange orange shorts, white tank top. Wow. So. I, I, I think uh, that that may have caused a bit of confusion for a both, you know, North Star and Moak. Who the hell am I passing to? I, I see white and orange. So it's getting the ball, you know. So uh, just kind of one of the random things that I caught about this movie and how low rent can't North Star was because they had nothing except for what whatever people brought with them. So, hey, if you have the same uniform as the other team, eh, oh, well,
0: not only do they have nothing, but they're so poor that Tripper also has to drive the bus.
1: that is true but hey at least he got to proclaim it was the proudest moment in north star history
0: all right we have run through you know uh, peripherally of meatballs again i just want people to watch this movie it's a movie that's so special to me and so special to so many people that grew up i just would like people to experience it and just love it's it's feel-good 70s canadian summer camp grooviness it's just a fun movie but now we're getting to the part we got the last 20 25 minutes here of this podcast where This movie is chock full of one-liners, quips, quotes, references, Bill Murray just being a smarmy ass. So many fun little moments in this movie that I would say, like my brother and I would just quote this movie endlessly when we were kids. And not even like jokes, just like little things like uh, there's a hot dog eating contest and one of the guys before he sits down looks at the hot dog and says, What? No mustard? And my brother and I used to say that any time we had hot dogs as kids. It was just – we thought that was the funniest thing. And it's not even a joke. It's just a meatballs reference. So –
1: Excuse me one second. Random thing about that that scene. The uh, Fink and the stomach, as he was called, mm-hmm. I think I read where they both died within like two weeks of each other. And some kind of it, – it just randomly how it worked out. But those two actors I think passed away within like two weeks of each other, which is just odd. Wow. And I don't know where I read it, but – it was kind of crazy.
0: Is that recently? Did they die, like, into the 2000s?
1: I think it was maybe within the last five to ten years.
0: All right, well, let that be a lesson to you kids. Don't overindulge in hot dogs because you will only live 40 more years.
1: Yeah, and by the way, how many hot dogs were in that thing? Like, a <laughs> hundred? I mean, that was obscene.
0: What? No mustard? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I have asked Mike uh, to come up with a list of 15 to 20 Favorite little meatball-isms, just to go off and we're going to compare our lists. And I will say off the top of my head that I sat down to make a list of 15 to 20. I ended up coming up with 71. So this will be very hard for me to narrow these down because I love this movie so much. Mike, why don't you start us off? Something random that you appreciate that makes you laugh about meatballs.
1: The little kid (laughs) that didn't want to get on the bus. There was a group of little kids that just did not want to get on the bus, and they were giving Candace a hard time. And... One of them just yells out, "Go blow a frog." <laughs> how does that even like? How does that even come across the mind of a child to, to to go blow a frog? They were like six years old. How do they even know what that meant?
0: <laughs> I've never caught that line. I've, I mean, I, I know exactly what senior talking about, and I was watching it today, and I heard the kid say, "Go blow," and I didn't really catch what he says. So he literally says, "Go blow a frog."
1: Yeah, because they were like, "Go, go blow," and then then the other one's like, "Go blow a frog." It's like
0: what those little canadian hoodlums what kind of mouths did they have on them
1: tell you just no running lawless all all over the countryside (laughs) talking about blowing frogs
0: well that does explain why this movie is so popular among frogs
1: yes although they did manage to kill a frog so
0: oh yeah you know swings
1: to roundabouts
0: it might have been (laughs) autoerotic asphyxiation maybe they were combined somehow (laughs) wow this podcast just got really dark yeah (laughs) poor frog i apologize to all frogs that are listening
1: go ahead and lighten us up there mario (laughs)
0: <laughs> All right, so here we go. So <laughs> th- this is a, fa- a favorite Bill Murray moment, where there's a scene in the movie, and a lot of people won't remember this, it's very subtle, where Bill Murray is explaining the rules to his CITs, and there's a character named Spaz right behind him who is just kind of a klutz. And as they're walking away from the garbage can where Tripper has thrown in the rules, Spaz kind of trips and falls into Bill Murray, and I'm not sure if it's planned or if it was just in, uh, an accident. And Bill Murray, wonderful improvisationist as he is, turns around and looks at the guy that fell into him, and basically, this is his improvisation. He gives Spaz impromptu walking lessons. He goes, just right, left, right, left. <laughs> it's just such a funny little Bill Murray moment, and he doesn't linger on it. It's not like a punchline. It's just something he says to the other actor. Just right, left, right, left. Yeah.
1: Just, just a little funny dick moment, but it's still <laughs> kind of, you know, hey, let's let us get your uh, crap together there, Spaz, because, uh, you know, there's women watching.
0: After, I don't know how you're going to top blow a frog, but go for it.
1: <laughs> well, it's one that we were talking about, the one that uh, I believe you said that uh, you and your brother often quoted where after Candace kind of kidnaps uh, the Afro Crockett <laughs> <laughs> while Crockett's talking to this guy named Lance, Lance Cashman. Lance Cashman, who kind of is trying to act like, "Oh, Candace is all mine. She's she we she just doesn't know how in love we really are." Well, Candace kidnaps Crockett and they're they're speeding away in a friggin' motorboat. And she's like, "Oh, I'm really attracted to you." He's like, "Well, what about Lance?" He said, Lance, yeah, Lance. Lance Cashman is a total jerk off. And it's right as right as they pass him on the dock, and then he just like kind of slumps and goes, "Jerk off." I don't jerk off. <laughs>
0: yeah, I, I just I, love that moment. <laughs> I saw this movie many times on TV as a kid, and they always cut that line out. So when I finally saw it uncensored, I laughed because it was it's, it's, it's very broad, that, that line, jerk off, I don't jerk off. And again, my brother and I would kind of quote that line all the time when our parents weren't around, which is a horrible line. You, you don't want your parents to hear you say, jerk off, I don't jerk off. Yeah, there's quite a few
1: lines that I'd quote uh, from various movies across the 80s. And many of them would have a word that sometimes I would forget to censor myself and then I'd get in trouble. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, eh, oh, well.
0: All right, my next one is this is a, a kind of a famous one. This one isn't subtle at all where throughout the movie Bill Murray is just giving these PA announcements over the intercom to the entire camp. And again, it's just Murray riffing on stuff and making jokes. And there's one, this is my favorite, one of my favorites, where he says uh this is where all the, the kids were exiting out of the cafeteria after dinner, and Murray's like, tonight's mystery meat was veal. The answer was veal. And our winner was Jeffrey Corbin, who answered some kind of beef. Congratulations, Jeffrey. You've won a new Chrysler Cordoba, and you can pick it up in Morty's office. <laughs> I had that one written down, too. Yeah. I love that line. Some kind of beef. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, the old trope of what the hell's in the food. I, I don't care. I'm going to eat it, and <laughs> whatever it is, it is. Um... My next one is uh, when he's in the bus station commiserating with Rudy about how he effed up in the soccer game. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, that's life in the fast-paced slam bang, live on the razor's edge, laugh in the face of death world of junior league soccer. That line just kills me because it's so over the top of what it really was. But (laughs) you just got to love Murray and the way that he just exaggerates just for the hell of it. And that's just one of my favorite little lines of, Um, just so dry about it and so funny and just kind of made you feel like he was your big brother like you were talking about earlier
0: what i always remember about that line is that murray later starred in a movie called the razor's edge so i always think of that when i hear him do that quote that the razor's edge world of junior league soccer (laughs) nice okay here's one this one's one people wouldn't expect me to mention but there's a scene when they're playing tennis where uh, two of the CITS, the guys, are against two of the girls, and they're both hapless. It's Spaz and Fink, the fat guy and the nerdy guy. So we start the game, and Spaz tries to serve the the ball to the other team, and he misses the ball, and his racket goes flying across the court, which I just love the 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 the, the uh, physical humor there. But the part that I always love is the next shot when the girls hit it back, Spaz is out there flailing at the ball, trying to hit it, desperately trying to hit the ball. He can't do it. He's just whiffing, whiffing, whiffing. Meanwhile, his partner is yelling strategy at him as if Spaz has any chance to hit this ball. And Larry's going, lob it, lob it, which I always love that Larry thinks Spaz would have that kind of (laughs) peace of mind that he would be able to, to implement some sort of strategy despite not being able to hit the ball. And what happens is at the end of the scene is this is the part that I always forget is where Larry hits the ball, and one of the girls is going back, and she goes, "I got it! I got it! I got it!" And the actress takes this tumble and just goes crashing backwards into the fence, absolutely murders her back of her head. And I always watch that scene and go, "Ouch! That must have hurt," because I know that's not a stunt double. She whacks that fence so hard with her head, and I've never understood how she didn't like knock herself out there.
1: Yeah, she went ass basically went ass overhead, <laughs> falling into this fence. And then what cracks me up about the end of the scene is right away, as soon as she hits the fence, you have that fun. Na-na, na-na. So she, you, you have no minute to even mourn over the fact that she just <laughs> ate shit. It's right away in, in, into the next funny bit, which just kills me about this movie.
0: All right, you're up, Mr. Frog Blower.
1: <laughs> Let's see. Next on my list. Just a quick moment. When, when they're in the Olympiad and they're wrestling, they're trying to do, like, Greco-Roman wrestling, but Wheels is dressing up like he's, like, like a member of the pre-WWF with this ridiculous afro, ridiculous tie over his outfit. And they're fighting, and Wheels is pinned for a minute, and then he goes, God, your pits
0: stink! It's just so random. <laughs> <laughs> I like that, that Wheels gets a punchline every now and then. Yeah. All right, so here we go. One of my very favorite scenes in the movie, and I, this is one because I know it was 100% improvised. It's where, uh, it's where Bill Murray and Chris Makepeace are playing blackjack for peanuts in Tripper's office. And this is something that Rudy would do. Apparently, he'd just go to Tripper's cabin and they'd play cards every night because Rudy doesn't have any friends. And again, just, there's so many lines that my brother and I would just endlessly spout at each other from, uh, meatballs over the years. And this is one where. <laughs> Where Rudy's talking about how he's in a school, you know, he's going to school, he's in public school, and, and then he bids, he, he puts in his first bid on Blackjack, it's 20 Peanuts, and Murray just ad-libs, 20? What are you, some sort of a madman? Is that what they teach you in that school of yours, 20? Yeah. My brother and I would just always, that's the line, is that what they teach you in that school of yours, and just follow it up with something, so that's my, my Bill Murray line right there. <laughs> that that
1: entire scene is great. It's just full of <laughs> random, random stuff, you know, Tripper trying to teach Rudy how to burp, <laughs> Which, again, being being the '70s, that's you know that's a kind of the precursor to gross-out humor. Burp, burp, you know, just saying burp as he's burping. <laughs> oh, really, really, you know, just stuff like that. And as as an eight-year-old, like you were saying, you're that's the funniest crap going. <laughs> um, but then as you get older, the line, ah, uh, enough of this playing for peanuts. Tomorrow we we play for real stakes. Zucchini. <laughs> Just a random, random like, where the hell does zucchini come from? Uh, well, it's Bill Murray. So,
0: all right, and I'll follow that up with the next line. Another one that my brother, my brother in particular, loved. This one: children starving in India, and you walking around with this whole sombrero full of peanuts.
1: I hope you sleep well.
0: <laughs> okay, I'm gonna go another one from that same scene, and this is one that people tend to forget. Where, and I think Chris Makepeace might be improvising too. At one point in the scene, they're talking about Rudy going to school, and uh, and Rudy actually shares some information about his life. It's the only time he ever says anything proactive about things he likes. He's like, you know, I think I like history the most. It's fun to imagine that I'm in some other time or a different place. And Murray just goes, shut up and look at your cards. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny to watch uh, Makepeace laugh at that, because I don't think he was expecting Murray to shut him down like that, but it's hilarious.
1: No, definitely not. <laughs>
0: um, I
1: tell you what, the... <laughs> The uh, basketball game is full of just random one-liners, like, more important than the score of this game is, is we have, we have, I, I forget what it was called. It was called, like, the uh, social or something yeah, like that. More important than scoring today is scoring to tonight. The this game, yeah, is the score tonight at the social. So whatever you do, protect your balls at any cost. <laughs> and then he's like, Bruce Lee, patient of self-defense, pray for us.
0: I swear I have dropped that line on Survivor Historians before just to see if you would catch it where we were about to, to wander into a part of the, po- the podcast that was very dangerous. And I said, Bruce Lee, patron of self-defense, pray for us. That's a line that I use all the time.
1: <laughs> I know, and don't think I don't appreciate it.
0: <laughs> all right, let's go to a very base joke here. This one doesn't require a lot of setup. But again, when I'm seven, eight years old, I think this is one of the funniest things ever. That Tripper lives in his own little cabin. And randomly, for some reason, everything in his, in his cabin is labeled with the exact thing of what it is. Like on the wall, it just says wall. Over the door, someone actually wrote door, and underneath it, someone wrote, no kidding. And on the toilet, someone wrote can. Like, someone's actually spray-painted the exact label of what it is, everything in his cabin. And when I was a kid, I thought that was so funny. The door, and someone wrote, no kidding. (laughs) So, just little things like that in Tripper's Cabin. Again, this movie was filmed at an actual summer camp, so that's stuff that may have been actually in a cabin. They're actually filming it there at this camp in, in Toronto or wherever. As it's going on as all the, all, the, all the extras in this movie were real campers that were, were there for summer camps, so there's some authenticity like that that may have just happened from stuff that was written on the walls at the time. I tell you
1: what when I was a kid, I thought, man when I get when I get my own place, all my stuff is being labeled <laughs> just just because just because I thought it looked cool and you didn't really see that very often. I, I could see why he had to have the door labeled because everything looked like the the same kind of plywood. <laughs> So how we would distinguish the door from the bathroom to just regular wall, I think it was almost a necessity to label everything. Fair enough. Randomly, when they, when they steal Morty's air conditioner and they put it in, you know, the male CITs put it in their cabin, A, where the hell did they get a banner that was cool with like a little penguin on it and like ice dripping off of the letters?
0: Well, that was where in the world that was the Canadian mascot back then
1: a that and then also when 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 hardware wires everything up and they literally blows out the lights of the entire camp, it's it it, it lingers from the lake onto the camp and all of a sudden you hear hardware. Yeah, Crockett, you're a dick. (laughs) (laughs) Seven year old me thought that was hilarious, but not for the reasons that 38 year old me thinks it's hilarious.
0: That might have been the first time I heard the word "dick" in a movie, so I am impressed that this movie introduced yeah. that word into my vocabulary.
1: Well, I know that we were talking about this uh, earlier, is that um, you know b- before the podcast, is that I didn't realize that PG thirteen didn't exist mm-hmm. until later on in the eighties. Yeah. So when I see that this movie is rated PG, I'm like, bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way that this is a PG movie, but without the PG thirteen. It wasn't quite hard enough for an R, and I think you had a reason why it almost got an R, and it's not the reason that people may think of.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, the general rule back then is if there's no F word and there's no boobs, then it can't be an R, then it's PG. So PG could get pretty racy at times. But there's one word in here that I know is very controversial at the time, and it's a word that people wouldn't think anything about saying. Now, it's the scene when they're at the basketball game, and uh, no, it's at the Olympiad, And there's a bunch of Mohawks, the rich kids, and they start a little chant that says, Camp North Star sucks. And in 1979, that was basically saying the F word, saying the word sucks. And I say that because I know in the mid 80s, I was in class once and I was giving a speech and I used the word sucks in a speech. And the teacher threatened to fail me on the spot, basically, and and report me to the principal. Which I was not aware that it was such a bad word, but in the late 70s, saying something sucked is saying you give fellatio, you give blowjobs, like that was that is an R-rated word. So it's I'm, it's very surprising that it would slip through in this movie and they'd still give it PG because that was such a vulgar term at the time. And again, it's a word that nobody even thinks twice about using nowadays. But in the 70s, it was much different.
1: Yeah, considering how much shits and assholes and dicks
0: and yeah, those are fine. Jerk off or like. That, that is the, the least
1: offensive word used in the movie when you're looking at it now, but I guess looking at it back then, you know, sucks was a, was a much more uh, offensive term, which is weird to me, but
0: either way. <laughs> yeah, you, could, you could have a Disney movie with like six shits in it back then. And it would be fine. <laughs> okay, here's a random one where uh, it's a, just a Bill Murray improv line where Bill Murray's jogging with Rudy and uh, Bill's like, do you, know do, do you know how to do this? Do you know how to do this? Do you know how to hotwire a car? And Rudy's like, no. And Bill's like, well, you'll learn in class. (laughs) Just a little Bill Murray quip right there.
1: Well, it it, kind of along those lines is like when he's running, he's like, I need to run. It keeps my mind off sex. Like, and he says it so aggressively that, you know, all you can picture is some sex crazed maniac running around, you know, it's,
0: it's it's, it's so over the top. He is rather aggressive in some of the scenes with Roxanne. And I've, and I've heard some criticism of this movie saying, well, some of those scenes don't age well, but it's like. You know, Roxanne and, and Tripper have been at the same camp eight years. It's assumed they hook up and break up every summer. They have a weird relationship. So, like, I don't mind those scenes so much. But if you take them out of context, yeah, they do look a little a little odd when Murray's a, a little date rapey at times with Roxanne. But it all ends well because they are friends and they hook up again at the and the same as they do every summer, I would assume.
1: Yeah. And, I mean, yeah, okay, so he bites her ass, you know. But I guess that was a common practice back in the 70s. I, I wasn't quite around yet, so... I'm gonna go ahead and say, yeah, ass biting was a uh, was a thing.
0: And in all fairness, it was shark infested waters.
1: Yes, definitely. So, hey, you know, if if you're gonna get in shark infested waters, you gotta you gotta expect a little ass biting <laughs>
0: happening. You know, it could have been worse. Yeah, just like Alex Kentner, he knew the price.
1: <laughs> oh man, there's so many so many little scenes. The scene where the girl CITS are in their cabin reading this sex novel. <laughs> And Spaz and Fink are below the uh, cabin listening with raging boners, assuming. Um, in fact, Spaz is like, I'm getting, I'm getting a boner. He's like, "Why He's like, I'm getting a boner. <laughs> and they hear him because Fink's trying to beat the crap out of him to shut him up under the cabin. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, they go, oh, shit, I think they know. I think they know. It's back out. And they're backing out. And the girls catch Spaz. And they kind of semi-kidnap him. And they start taking Fink's pants off just because, (laughs) and all of a sudden you think Spaz is taking his pants out. Spaz, are you a homo or what? (laughs) And then the next morning, Tripper with the announcement, and there's a very fat pair of pants hanging up on the flagpole today. (laughs)
0: Yeah, and for non-summer camp people, that is a tradition, that it was a tradition to get somebody's pants up on the flagpole. That's just kind of what happens at summer camp, and everyone cheers. But you never know the backstory. How did the pants get up there? So this is one of the rare times we saw how the pants get up on the flagpole. Okay, I got two here back-to-back because back, they're in the same scene. It'll happen one after the other where it's the basketball game when the Mohawks are playing the, the North Stars. Again, Just I love this scene, and every single second of it is hilarious where there's a scene where Spaz is trying to dribble a basketball, and he, he's dribbling with two hands. He's just absolutely hopeless at basketball, and there's a wonderful just bit of physical humor where he dribbles up to one of the guys guarding him on Mohawk, and the guy makes no attempt to guard him or do anything, yet Spaz somehow gets flustered and flummoxed and loses the ball. And it's hard to describe it, just how funny it is. Spaz just weaving left and right, trying to get around this guy. The guy makes no move, movement to do anything. And Spaz panics and then falls and throws the ball. And it's just one of these little bits of physical humor that I loved. And we'll follow that up with uh, Larry Finkelstein, Fink, the fat kid, accidentally making a basket because he gets scared. And then he makes the basket. And so Tripper is so overjoyed that his team has made a basket. He yells out the awesome Bill Murray catchphrase, feed Fink. He's our hot man. So, <laughs> pass it to the fat kid. Yeah, and accidentally then, scored. He's hot. And then, he, and, and then he really pulls out what looks to be a candy bar. <laughs> yeah.
1: Trying to eat and run and try and guard these guys. Ah, <laughs> oh, just classic fat boy humor.
0: <laughs> the Mike Engelberg school of comedy from Bad News Bears. The fat kid it, must always yes. have a candy bar.
1: One of my favorite scenes, and I used to, I used to like lay around at night um, and quote this, like we, we were in the living room and it was like a weird summer night or whatever. I'd go, it's a weird moon tonight. Moon kills, you know, feeds off the earth. night like this, one of us could just grab an axe and cut somebody's head off.
0: Yeah, for those who don't know, this is a ghost story. It's a ghost story. They're at an overnight, and and, uh, Tripper's telling a ghost story to all the other counselors. And it's like a legitimately scary story. Like, Murray actually pulls out all the stops here and makes this a good ghost story.
1: Oh, yeah. I used to have this one completely memorized as a kid, whether it be, you know, the family's driving in the car somewhere at night. And I'll just randomly start with that line (laughs) and then go from there and and it's a line it's a story that i've heard in several like several variations of movies and whatnot it's an old you know it's an old one where it's the guy that you know he's escaped from a from an asylum and young couples out making out in the car and then all of a sudden they hear the story on the radio and he tries to take the girl home and when he gets home hanging in the door covered in blood is a sharpened steel hook the sad thing is they never found the killer. Some people say he's up here in the woods waiting for the chance to kill again. And I think. And then he pulls out this, doesn't even look like a hook, just looks like a metal coat hanger type of a deal. But he just pulls it out and goes, I think they're right. And everybody just, ah, And they run away and lose their shit. And uh, just classic little bit of fun horror story, you know, trope. And Murray just pulls this off perfectly.
0: And, of course, we're going to leave on the uh, the spaz catchphrase, right, at the punchline at the end.
1: <laughs> yeah, the, oh, yeah, I, I, I've I heard that before, but the, the guy was missing a foot, and then Fingal's like, how could the guy have a hook on his foot? <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, for those who haven't seen it, Murray tells this awesome story about an escape killer with a hook, and all he scares everyone, and all the T's are, like, rattled afterwards. They're like, oh, I, I've heard that. That's true. Yeah, I heard it, but it happened here. No, I heard it, but it happened at a hospital. And then spaz's like, I heard it, but the guy was missing a foot and it's just a beat and thinks like how the hell could he have a hook on his foot it's probably the biggest laugh in the movie for me just how it breaks the tension like that it's just a wonderful little moment
1: that whole overnight bit kills me from when they're going on the canoes across to this island which if they were across the lake from where the hell were they going because it was an, it, it was a big lake on one side was mohawk the other side was north star was there some other
0: island somewhere hanging out?
1: I could never quite figure out the whole geography of this.
0: You know what's funny is that that whole uh, overnight trip—that's like peacefully going across the lake. Ghost story. This whole fifteen-minute interlude in the movie feels basically like a horror movie. Just we didn't never got to the horror part at the end. Like it feels like the first ten minutes of Friday the Thirteenth Part Two or something. That's how what I always yeah, think exactly. when I watch this scene.
1: Yeah, I, I I love it. A, we have Wendy sunbathing in the canoe. Hell yeah. boobs hanging out of her top. And me as a seven-year-old was like, ah, oh, she's pretty. Me as a 14-year-old was like, holy crap. Yeah. And then me as a 38-year-old is like,
0: mm, pretty hot. Yeah, I sure <laughs> hope she was 18.
1: Yeah, I'm sure she was, because they all were at that age. They, they were all in their 20s whenever anybody made a high school movie.
0: All right, I got a couple of Bill Murray quips here. We're going to end this maybe with a four or five more each. But uh, Bill Murray quip, where he goes up to Roxanne at the dance, at the big social... And he pulls her close, and they're dancing and Bill Murray's line is, is that a bra you're wearing or are you expecting an assassination attempt? Which is one of my favorite little Bill Murray one-liners right there. <laughs> just him dancing love in that. general. That whole scene of him dancing is hilarious. If, if you ever want to see Bill Murray at his peak coolness, just watch him doing this, his little dance in the scene.
1: Oh, yeah. And I used to love doing the thing where he like, puts his hands over his eyes and does that kind of weird like he makes glasses out of his eyes with his hands are upside down. Yeah. I used to I, I as soon as I saw it, I'm like, How the hell do I do that? And I spent like a whole afternoon one time trying to figure out how the hell to make my hands do that.
0: <laughs> the most underrated part of that scene is where he takes her hand like he's gonna kiss it like she's a princess, and he licks it instead. That's my favorite little Bill Murray moment right there where he <laughs> the hand lick at the start of the dance. That's his courting move.
1: Yeah, it's the uh George Clinton Parliament Funkadelic <laughs> move right there where he just, you know, licks her hand and you can change the record, but don't you change <laughs> just a random deadpan comedy is one he's hanging out with Rudy right before the race. He's like, okay, Rudy, how's the leg? He's like, it's good. It's good now. But if, if, if you don't win, we cut it off.
0: <laughs> yep. <laughs> that was on my list. I was going to finish with that one. Good choice. <laughs> All right. So let's see. got a couple more, man. This is tough. Cause I still got about 10 more, but I'm going to try to be, be uh, selective and only pick four. Here's a Bill Murray line where, uh, <laughs> where, uh, Rudy is, uh, is a querying Tripper if he likes Roxanne or not. And Rudy's like, do you like her? And Tripper's like, "Ah, I don't really like her. And Rudy's like, I like her. And Murray improvises, well, you're not exactly known for your taste. And that's another line that I use all the time. I know I've used that on Survivor Historians, and I've used that to people in the past. Someone says, well, I like this. And I'll always say, well, you're not exactly known for your taste. And that's, again, 100% right out of this movie. That's a Bill Murray improvisation to uh, Chris Makepeace. (laughs)
1: Yeah, that's something that I need to start and kind of incorporating into my, you know, general vernacular about people when they try and tell me, you know, what they like or whatever. I'm like, well, you're not exactly known for your taste because it's, it's, such a like a low key slam at somebody <laughs> that, that they might not even realize that they just got owned right there. All right, what do you got? One of my other ones is, you know, kind of right in that general scene where where they try and figure out who the hell is going to run this marathon. Like, well, what about Rudy Garner? It's like, well, well, no offense, but that you know, I can't, can't, that, that kid can't even catch a football. It's like, well, for your information, Philip, you know, he's such, he's such a dick. You know, trying to explain this, like, you know, he's he's I forget what he says, but it's something like he's he's got a he's an all-state track and field runner, and he's got some kind of a congressional. He's on some recognized from some congressional committee or something like that and people are like well no one else is gonna do it you know they were talking about getting fink to run it because they were just out of options and jackie got her leg broke which by the way can i just segue into just how much of a dick every kid was on mohawk between the ones that literally tried to hobble jackie like misery style crashing into her knee which all of a sudden became a broken ankle which i never quite figured out how that traveled down there
0: canadian medicine
1: yeah, weird. And then, like, even in the little five-year-old potato sack race, these little five-year-old a-holes are just knocking the shit out of North Star kids, and it's like, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's cool. You guys win. And all these blatant cheating maneuvers that no one ever calls anybody out on, it's like, as a kid, you're like, how could you not see that? That's not fair. <laughs> ba- back in those days, it was every, every person for themselves.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you're taking some very hot takes here on the podcast. A, you've you've admitted that you like Tom Hanks, and B, you think that the Mohawks were jerks. So you're taking some controversial you know, stances here.
1: I am known for my tastes <laughs> as far as controversial opinions, as in, I don't have any, really. <laughs> I mean, the most controversial, I could say, is the girl that was supposed to be 16 is hot as hell. But deep down, we all know she was like 23 or something like that, so that's fair game.
0: All right, I'm going to end with three here. These are my three final, then I'll let you do whatever you want to finish up with. There's a line right at the end where it's like the very last line in the movie where Roxanne is going to move in with Tripper for the first time, and they're going to share a house. And and he invites her to move in, and she's like, is it big enough? And Murray improvises, it's got a double bed, which I just always love that line. Is your house big enough? Well, we can <laughs> bang. <laughs> so that's a great one. what it's there for. Yeah, that's a good Bill Murray improvisation. And there's another one here where... Uh, this one is fantastic, where uh, he's, uh, Murray, Bill Murray's getting Fink ready for the hot dog eating contest. And Bill's like, uh, you know what these hot dogs are saying? You know what they're saying, Larry? They're saying, this is the year that Fink beats the stomach. And the actor that plays Fink kind of picks up some of the hot dogs and listens to them to, to kind of play along with what Murray's saying. And Murray, quick on his feet, says, no, it's a couple of guys over here, but they're saying it. <laughs> Just Very, very <laughs> quick-witted improv right on his feet, Bill Murray reacting to what the other guy's doing. And then my third one here is that uh, hardware is competing in the high jump. And he asked Bill Murray for some advice. Do you have any advice for my high jump? And Murray's like, yeah, try to jump very, very high. <laughs> just, that's a line that's so deadpan, it always makes me laugh. And I just have to finish with one here in that... During the it just doesn't matter scene, everyone's going, it just doesn't matter, just doesn't matter. The very last shot of that scene is we cut to Lance Cashman, and he's totally unimpressed by it just doesn't matter. He's the one guy in North Star that does not impress by Bill Murray's rah-rah speech. And you know he's going to go back to his uh, cabin and jerk off. So that's why I I just love that little shot of Lance Cashman looking totally unimpressed by the best scene in the movie.
1: It's almost like Lance Cashman is working at Mohawk, and he got he got in trouble, and this is his punishment is he has to sit over here with these guys and just look at just how poor and how pathetic and how lame that that this camp is compared to the uh, croissants and cafe au lait that uh, Camp Mohawk wakes
0: up with. <laughs> so anyway, Meatball is a movie that clearly Mickey and I love. I, sorry, I mean Mike. <laughs> this is just a movie that's so near and dear to my heart. It was on TV endlessly through the 80s. It was one of those movies that so many people grew up with, are fond of. Just, uh, It's one of those things that people like the movie, but I think people just kind of, when they think of this movie, they think of a certain time of their life, the summer growing up, summer camp, stuff like that. It has lots of very strong memories for people. And it's unfortunate that it kind of has a reputation of being a raunchy sex comedy because it's really nothing of the sort. It's nothing like that. And I know they made a couple sequels. They made Meatballs 2 and Meatballs 3 and 4. And I know there will be some savages out there that will tell you those are actually better than Meatballs. Don't listen to them. That they have nothing to God do with this no. movie. They're, they're in, in name only just to capitalize and sell videos. And I know I'm pissing some of my listeners off who are trying to lobby to get me to do Meatballs 2 and 3 on this podcast. There's no chance in hell that will ever happen. Meatballs is the only one. It is one of the best movies of this time period. It is the movie that taught me that a person who gives massages is known as a masseuse, not a masseur. That's some trivia that you may learn from this movie. That's Bill Murray drops that line in his <laughs> uh, Just Doesn't Matter speech. And I will say here, before we go, this is my favorite thing in this movie. This is something, if you happen to watch it, just look out for this. In the scene where they are uh, blowing off their wall to put the air conditioner in, in in, uh, the CIT cabin, if you look under the cool banner, they're all sitting under the cool banner, as as Mickey mentioned. And then, uh, sorry, Mike. If you look over to the right... son of a bitch. Sorry. If you look over to the right, there's some (laughs) names spray-painted on the wall. And one of the names, I swear to God, I shit you not, I actually posted a picture of this on Twitter... Someone spray painted Mario L on the side of the cabin. You can see it in the hardware scene. And it's like they somehow knew that I, Mario Lanza, would be doing a podcast on their movie 39 years later, and they wrote my name on the wall. I have no idea why Mario L is written on a wall of a Canadian summer camp in the late 70s. I don't know how many Italians they had in that area in in the 70s, but it is hilarious, and it just touches my heart when I see my name immortalized in a movie like that. (laughs) One of the things that I took away
1: from this later on, after I'd watched a bunch of other stuff, is the guy that plays Hardware mm-hmm. is in a ton of other stuff, and I mean good stuff. Uh, if you ever watch a few Good Men at at the beginning when they introduce Daniel Caffey, mm-hmm. he's playing softball. This this Navy lawyer dude comes up and starts yelling at him. That's Hardware. Wow. The, the guy that says if if we don't settle right now, we're gonna hang your boys from an effing yard arm. That's that's hardware. Hmm. And also the guy that played hardware, if you ever watched From the Earth to the Moon, the HBO miniseries, is the guy that was in charge of designing the lunar module that was used to land on the moon and saved the dudes in Apollo 13. So random bits of information that I love dropping on people that have no idea who this guy was. Um, The hell of an actor. And I strongly recommend checking that out.
0: Okay, Mike, I want to thank you for joining me, and I want to just uh, thank everyone for tuning in and listening. Again, Meatballs, fantastic movie, of its time, will always be of its time. Just a neat little inspirational movie. And again, with one of the most killer soundtracks I can think of any movie from this time period, I own it, and it's fantastic. This uh, You Can Be My Good Friend yeah. is a good song, Moon Dust Melody, I love yep. that, Making It, the Meatballs song, and then the one we're going to end on here is uh, Are You Ready for the Summer?
1: One thing that uh, really pissed me off about this um Sorry to interrupt, but uh, on on a DVD release, they took out the meatballs theme while the, while they were doing the Olympiad, huh. and they had some like random Bill Murray singing <laughs> stuff about what was going on, rather than the actual meatball song. <laughs> and I was I was so infuriated, I I almost like destroyed the the DVD of it for whatever reason the rights didn't transfer. Hmm. So I was very happy to see once I saw it on Amazon Prime that they had the they actually had the correct music back with it random thing there but you're right great soundtrack great movie um love it to pieces and whenever it's on i'm stopping and i'm watching
0: it's got a double bed okay sorry <laughs> all right so anyway again this is staff picks my name is mario lanza if you have any feedback any suggestions if you uh want to uh comment on anything we've talked about on this or any other show you can reach me at staff podcast at gmail.com or you can reach me on twitter at mario j lanza
1: and i'm at mike and parma
0: And until the next time, I will be out there looking for underrated movies, underloved movies, something fun to talk about. And we're going to end the show a little differently this time. We're going to say, Bill Murray, take us away and send us out of here. Talk to you guys later. Go for it, Bill. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, no, I heard it happen in a park. Oh, I heard it, but the guy was missing a foot. <laughs> How could the guy have a hook on his foot? <laughs> <laughs>